So I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6. So you can find us on page 1160 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. This is a common passage, the armor of God. There's a many a vacation Bible school. We have went through this passage, so. but it's good for us at every age. So we'll be looking at this. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you will guide us in this time. That you will give us wisdom and understanding. That you will guide us into discernment of your truth through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that our eyes would just be directed to your Son, Jesus Christ, our only hope, our only strength. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. As we're looking at the characteristics of a healthy church, we are looking at the characteristic of prayer. The vital necessity of prayer. The wonderful gift and privilege of prayer. So vital, so important. Not only prayers for ourselves, not only prayers for our family, prayers for brothers and sisters who are part of our church, part of the body of Christ that we worship and fellowship in. Prayers for everyone. Prayers. Prayers of such vital importance. 
Here we find in the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul is calling out and he's showing the vital necessity and importance of prayer. As we understand this and look at this, we see where prayer is of vital importance in the midst of the spiritual battle that we face each and every day. This is the dominant theme in Ephesians. If you were to go back to chapter 1 in Ephesians, I encourage you, if you have a Bible, flip back. We're going to look how this theme's woven through the book, and it's building up. Ephesians 6, it begins with finally, because this is the Apostle Paul's summizing of the letter to the church in Ephesus and directing us to Christ. So if you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 13. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking to believers, those who are in Christ. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory so we see where in ephesians chapter one we see where god makes alive those who are dead in their sins who are dead in their transgressions who are dead in their rebellion and disobedience to God. And God comes and makes you alive so that you can believe, so that you can trust, so that you can have faith, so that you can have salvation and forgiveness. And when that happens, it's as if you are imprisoned in sin and God comes and he removes the shackles from your hands and your feet and the cell door is blown off the hinges, and you can walk out free from your sin and the bondage of death. Wow, so you're freed. And you have this guarantee of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you so that you know that you will walk faithfully to the end. Because God has made you alive and he's going to guide you and keep you and grow you. So this is how Ephesians 1, that's the focus of Ephesians 2. Yet though you have been justified, you have been made right in the cross of Jesus Christ. You are now implored to live for him out of gratitude. To live the new life that you've been freed for. You're no longer chained in the cell of sin and death. Now you've been set free to live for God. So then Ephesians chapter 2 makes that clear. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how you've been saved by grace. It is a gift of God through faith. But in Ephesians 2, we see this talk of these enemies that we still face. His enemies. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As you 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So this is your pre-saved state. You were dead. It wasn't that you were a little sick. It wasn't that you were a little weak. It wasn't that you just couldn't quite do it on your own. No, before you come to faith in Jesus Christ and are saved, you're dead. Absolutely. You have no power and ability to save yourself, to help yourself, completely dead. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So there it is. We have been locked in this dungeon of sin and death, following the ways of the world, following the prince and powers of the air. This is the devil in the demonic realm, this fallen spiritual realm, and also enslaved to our fallen nature, our flesh and desires. And in Jesus Christ, it says, you've been freed from all those things. You are no longer enslaved to. You are no longer held down by. You are no longer chained and shackled to those things. You are free. You're alive. This is of vital importance to understand when we approach Ephesians chapter 6. As the Apostle Paul, as he goes to the letter, he's building up to this understanding that now that you are a free Live as though you're free. How many times do we face temptation and trial and struggle and we find ourselves running back to that old prison cell of sin? How many times do we find ourselves going back in and trying to put the chains back on our arms and legs? We've been set free from these things. So Ephesians chapter 6 shows us how we stand firm in that under God's grace so that we can live for His glory and live life in its full as we've been saved to. So that's what we're seeing here. So verse 10, verse 10, here's the repeated phrase that's woven throughout this. It says this, be strong. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Be strong in your strength. Be strong in my strength. (laughs) That isn't going to get you too far. Be strong in what? Be strong in the power of your positive thinking or outlook. Is it going to make it? Be strong in your own ethic and ability. Not going to get you that far. Be strong in the Lord. There it is. That's the key. That's what, as we move through this passage, that's where we're getting our strength from. That's the source of our hope, and that's the source of our power. 
And that's why prayer is of vital importance. Because whenever we go through the day, what does prayer do? Prayer focuses our hearts and our minds and our thoughts on Jesus Christ. It's keeping us alert. It's keeping us focused. Vital importance because in prayer, you are talking to the only one who can really help. And it keeps you from going to looking for help in all the wrong places or seeking to find fulfillment in anything but God himself. So we see the vital importance of this as we're already set up. Be strong in the Lord. And it continues on in verse 10. And in the strength of his might. That's the key. The strength of his might. Now that's an important word there. For it says in the strength of his might. Because this takes you back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is tightly woven. As the Apostle Paul is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see how it's tightly woven and and the truth of God is so clearly woven through it. So in verse 10, when it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, that takes you to Ephesians 1, 19. It takes you back to chapter 1, what he's built this foundation on. So how strong is the Lord? That's what you may ask. When you're facing ongoing temptation and sin and struggle, you may be tempted to wonder, well, is God strong enough to help me in this? When you're facing the pains and throes of sickness or disease and you feel so weak, you don't know if you'll be able to take another step. That's when you want to know how strong is the Lord? Is he strong enough to help you in this time? When your, when your marriage and your family and everything seems like it's in tatters and you, you don't know if it's going to hold together, <laughs> you got to know how strong God is. Is he strong enough? Is he able? Because what Paul is doing here in verse 10, he's saying this. You are facing this onslaught to the spiritual attack. He's giving you one foundation to place your feet and it is in the strength and might of of God Almighty. So we must know how strong that foundation is and will it stand. So what is the power and might of God? Ephesians 1.19. Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? This is God's power. This is His strength and might. Of His power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. There it is. There's the same word. His strength and his might. How strong is God? This is how strong God is. Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you get in a worse state than that? Than death. That's about as bad as it gets. So here God is that mighty, that strong, that in Jesus he raises him from the dead to new life. And not only does he do that, and seats him at his right hand in the heavenly places, above all rulers and authority, over every power and dominion, above every name that is named, 
in verse 22, and he put everything under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God is strong enough. He's strong enough. You can trust him with everything. You can go to him with everything. That's why the scriptures say, pray in all circumstances. Pray at all times because there is nothing that God hasn't displayed his power and ability to bring his healing, his hope, his love, his goodness into. So that's the foundation, verse 10. Because as we're implored to suit up and go into battle, it's very important that you know you're not doing battle in your strength and your ability. Otherwise, you would make it but a few feet in the midst of the battle. No, this is a power from God. The Holy Spirit dwells within, and He and His sovereignty brings things for good for those who love Him and know Him. So that's where our hope and trust is. So in verse 11, Ephesians 6, verse 11, we see where he begins developing this understanding of the armor of God, getting suited up, ready for battle. So verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. This theme of armor of God is throughout the scriptures. In Romans 13, it's a little different. It talks about the armor of light. That we're in the midst of darkness and we put on the armor of light. Jesus Christ is the light and it helps us in the midst of the darkness to shine for him. And then Romans 13 goes a little further that the armor of God is actually as though we are putting on Jesus Christ himself. That we've died to our old flesh and we're putting on Jesus Christ as we go forth to give him glory. Why must we have armor and why must we be alert and why must we be ready? In verse 11, it goes on to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Now, Ephesians 2 talks about these three great enemies. The one enemy is our own fallen flesh. And even though if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have crucified your old flesh with him, and you've been raised to new life, yet as long as you're on this heaven and earth, as long as we continue here, we face temptation and struggle, and we stumble in sin. That is the reality until either Christ returns or we die. So in the midst of that battle, we understand that enemy, and we have to be diligent in that fight. We also understand the world. These are these institutions and the powers around us that do not submit to God's law and his truth. And their purposes is that of corruption and destruction and misleading. And we, we see that. We see that at every aspect of our world and society. You see where false things are lifted up and truth is pushed down. So this is this rule that's around us and we're tempted. But in the midst of that is the devil. There is a devil. 
there is a fallen angel and there is the demonic where a third of the angels followed him and were cast down. So we understand that we actually do have a spiritual enemy. And he schemes. And his desire is to undo and to destroy. Remember the scriptures say that the devil came to do three things. And this is all he knows how to do. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's all the devil knows how to do. And whenever the devil says something, it is a lie. Because he's the father of all lies. When he lies, he's just communicating all he knows how to communicate. So we have to be aware that this is true, that this is real. There's two extremes you see happen in the church, and it shipwrecks the faith of many. You get more liberal church contexts where there, there is no devil. There is no person. There is nothing like that. And you see where they wander in air and to their own destruction. You also find some contexts where they are so consumed with the devil and demonic that they've actually lost sight of Jesus Christ in the midst of it. What Ephesians 6 says is this, we are aware of the devil and his schemes, but our eyes are focused on the victor, Jesus Christ. And that's where our heart and mind must be. So we see where we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Ultimately, this battle against sin this battle against the world is a battle against the devil and the demonic. These spiritual forces that are seeking to destroy. Seeking to destroy. Again, this is throughout the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 13 and 14. The whole focus of that is this. That in Jesus Christ, you are to grow up in Him so that you are no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of, do- wind of doctrine, by every bit of cunning and deceitful schemes. As we grow up in Christ, again, we are to stand firm in the truth so that this false teaching or this distortion of the truth doesn't so easily blow us over and sweep us away in the flood of false theology. That's why our feet must be planted in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about the God of this world, referring to the devil, blinding the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see and respond and understand the gospel. And then 2 Corinthians 10, again says that the weapons of our warfare are not against the flesh, but against divine power destroying strongholds with the truth of god so this is the theme throughout the scriptures this is the theme and ultimately see where the devil is lifted up as the one who prowls like a roaring lion this is first peter 5 8 be sober in the spirit be alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That sounds fairly fearful. But what does Peter say? How do you respond to this roaring lion? 
that in appearance seems so much stronger and so much mightier and able to tear you asunder, how do this roaring lion? It says this, resist him. Firm in the faith. And James goes further and says, and what will he do when you resist him and says, I say no to you and I say yes to Jesus Christ? What does that roaring lion do? He flees from you. Because he knows who won the victory. Jesus Christ on the cross. He knows who won the victory over death. The tomb is empty. He knows who won the victory over sin. His blood paid it all. And he knows that Jesus is returning. So no matter how loud the devil may roar, to stand in Jesus Christ, we know he he flees from you. He flees from you. It's an amazing thing. I, I run around Reed's Lake and I run through those neighborhoods. And often I will encounter a dog. And it's almost always the case. There's this one house. The dog is about this big. I kid you not. Have you ever seen some of these dogs? They're about that high and that long and that far off the ground. And I'll be running by this house and that dog will bare his teeth and come at me as if he could eat me with one bite. I kid you not, just ferocious running. And usually I just shake my foot at it or just pick up the pace. And I, you know. But three houses down, right on the lake, they have this mastiff. Have you ever seen one of these giant mastiffs? This giant dog. And I see them often because they'll walk at Island Lake there. And I've passed, I've got to know the owner. And sometimes this big mastiff would be out in the front yard and all come running up and it'd see me and from a distance and it'd give this move, this bark, this deep rumbling bark. But when I come up to the yard, if I even look it in the eye, I, it cowers and goes and hides behind the house. This giant dog. I'm just amazed every time. That's the thing. No matter how ferocious the devil and these temptations and struggles are in your life, if you, you stand in Jesus Christ, you hold to His promises, you hold to the Word, you know that you've been forgiven, you know that His blood has cleansed you from all sin, and He cowers and flees from you because you are in the victory of Jesus Christ. Remember, we stand not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord, who has won the victory. So that's why in 13, it goes on, it says, we take up this whole armor that we are able to withstand in the evil day. Stand firm in the evil day. Can we not relate to that understanding, that concept? when we see the sin, when we see the falseness around us and how it is so easy just to be swept away in the flood of false things around us. No, we are to stand firm in Christ knowing His strength and His love. 
I put the Ephesians 2 there because there Paul gives this beautiful statement of what it is to stand firm. He says there that we are to be innocent without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And what are we supposed to do in the midst of this overwhelming darkness? Shine as lights in the room. We're supposed to sing this little light of mine in our prayers, in our words, in our actions. When we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with struggles, we should stand there and put our little fingers up and sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine regardless of what we're faced with. That's what we're encouraged with here in the Scriptures. So then, of course, we get suited up and the Apostle Paul is trying to capture what it is that every part of who we are is under the authority of Christ and every part of who we are is in his word. So that's why he gives this image of the armor. And that's why it is so vital, so vital that truth is what holds everything together. As a Christian, we do not have time and we are not to put any energy and effort to alternative spiritual facts or alternative spiritual things. No, we hold on to God's word, which is the truth. There is no alternative to the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. That's why it's so vitally important we hold on to God's word and hold on to Jesus Christ. And that's that belt of truth. Remember when the people at the time are going into the battle, they had their belts and they had to pull up, they had to gird their loins. And they'd pull up that garment and they'd come and they'd tuck it in their belt so that they could run without tripping and stumbling over their garment. So this having truth, which holds everything together, that is so important Because when we're confronted with false things and confronted with, quote, alternative understandings of the gospel or confronted with other interpretations of the scripture that go against what we know as being handed down by the apostles, those things will trip us up if we do not have God's truth holding and binding that all together. Then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. We find our righteousness in Jesus Christ, and that's what protects our hearts. That's what protects us from giving ourselves over to sin. I love 15. Shoes with the readiness given of the gospel of peace. Always ready to go and bring peace where there is conflict or division or harm, and we speak the gospel into those situations. Because we do not battle alone. We do not battle alone. This is the vital necessity, not only to be in the strength of the Lord, but to understand our need for a church body. Our need to be in God's word with other believers, praying for each other, studying God's word, so that we can battle together. When I go through the daily battle and I'm surrounded by 50, 60, 70 foes, all in appearance better armed than I, do I want to run out alone into that battlefield? No. 
No, I want as many of you in prayer and encouragement and accountability there beside me. So this is where these shoes of the readiness given the gospel of peace and unity and strength are there. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That is what protects us, our faith in Jesus Christ. Because what does the world say and what does the devil say? The world and the devil say this. You can find whatever way you want. You can find whatever strength and whatever thing you want. You make your own path. You choose. All that does is leave you vulnerable and exposed. And you will not make it long in the battle of life. No, we have to put on Jesus Christ He made it clear he's the only way, truth, and life, the only way to the Father. So that's why the shield of faith is what protects us. I stand in Jesus Christ and him alone. And what does it say? It extinguishes all the flaming darts of the evil one. Flaming darts of the evil one. How long does it take for you from when you wake up in the morning until you start feeling the flaming darts coming toward you. How many? I have not even left the bed. And I'm already getting singed. And I'm trying to grab the shield. That's it's just, that's our reality. So the devil, these flaming darts of temptation and doubt and struggle. So that's where the faith in Jesus Christ is so vitally important. In the midst of that, we have the helmet of salvation. We know that we are in Jesus Christ. We belong to him. And we wield the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, the scriptures. The one weapon of offense, not just defense, but offense, is God's word. That is how we go forward. That's how we tear down strongholds. That's how we lift up Jesus Christ. It is with his word because his word is powerful and effective. God's word is everything. It's the most precious thing we have because it tells us of who God is and who we are and God's love for us. So verse 18 through through 20 ends with these two things as we're suited up. And they go hand in hand. And this is what the battle looks like every day for every one of us. In the midst of this battle, there are two things, and I have them as as two letters that begin with P. The first one is praying. This is verse 18. Keeping alert with all perseverance. Oh, that's what we need is the perseverance. That patience and self-control. Keep alert with all perseverance. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Not just for ourselves, but for all the saints. There's that support where we are together in the battle. That's why I love not only this time in the morning, but Sunday evening when we gather for that time of Bible study and prayer, we close it with a time of praying for each other. We hear each other's requests and we're praying for each other. 
And as we're doing that, we're encouraging each other in this daily battle. Or Monday morning when we have the men's and the women's Bible study times, wonderful, precious times of prayer. And also daily as we all in our prayer closets or in our own times to be with the Lord, when we are interceding and lifting each other up, that is in the midst of this battle. And then this is Paul's request. In the midst of praying, there's the second word that starts with P, is proclaiming. The spiritual battle is every day that we are to be praying and proclaiming. Praying and proclaiming. Calling out to God and lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone around us. That's it. That's it. If anyone is ever wondering, if you you have a few minutes free in a day, what should I do with my free time? Pray and proclaim. You're thinking, well... You know, I don't have anything scheduled this coming weekend. What should I schedule? How about this? Pray and proclaim. This is it. These are the two go-to. You ever wonder what to do? Pray and proclaim. Do those two things. And this is it. So this is Paul. He's in prison. And this is how this ends. Paul, the one who said that in Christ you are free, he himself is in prison. But the gospel isn't in prison. So Paul says that he's calling for them to pray for him, that he may proclaim, that he may declare the gospel with boldness. Even though he's an ambassador in chains, and he wants them to pray for him, that words will be given to him to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So that's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. As we go forward this week, I encourage you to read over Ephesians 6. Read over Ephesians 6. Maybe today, I know there's some, someone told me there's some event going on later today. Some sporting, I think, or something like that. Well, in the midst of that, if there's a halftime or something during that, and if you're not overly enthralled with... uh, Lady Gaga, I encourage you during that halftime to, uh, if you're able, to turn the thing off and get out Ephesians 6 and read it with this outline and look up some of these verses so that you can be ready and armed for the coming week to what two things? To pray and proclaim. That's our hope. That's our prayer. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are at work in our lives. We thank you that we are able to stand in you because of what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross. Father, we pray that you do help us to get suited up in the daily battle, knowing that you've won the victory. And Father, we pray that you will enable us this week to proclaim your Son, Jesus Christ. To proclaim Him at work, to proclaim Him at home, to proclaim Him at the grocery store, to proclaim Him wherever we are. Through your power and strength. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.